1: Hey, good morning. My name is Johnny Williams. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard. So glad to be with you. Um, We're going to be reading uh, from Romans 12, 1 through 3 from the NLT again this week. Um, It won't be on the screen behind me, um, but if you want to pull it up on your phones, you can, um, or you can just listen. Um, Romans 12, 1 through 3 from the NLT. It says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Hello again. Um, Okay, since it's Father's Day, I wanted to give... You all a little bit of insight into um, my life, but specifically into the intricacies of being raised by um, my father, who is um, both uh, to thank and to blame for both my confidence and my weirdness. Um, uh, both of these things came from Like I like. Growing up in my dad's house, I, like, I just grew up believing in myself. Like, uh, he I, I don't know. I, I spent a lot of time talking to people about their families of origins, and I do understand that this isn't always the case. Like, he just convinced me that I could do anything and be anything that I wanted to believe, and so it um, infused in me this confidence, and, and I think that's really unique. Uh, to a childhood. But um, but the uniqueness of my childhood does not just end with that uh, because I also grew up spending every summer of my life that I can remember um, at a camp. We lived at a camp for high school kids all over the country. We lived in England one summer. We just spent our whole summers uh, at these camps. And part of that experience was that my dad was most often um, part of the entertainment for the camp, so doing like skits and games and things like that, um, which meant that uh, I I spent a fairly significant amount of my of time as a kid seeing my dad in costumes. And um, if you know my dad, that's not weird, but also that's kind of weird, right? Like, do you guys have this experience of seeing your father? In costume, like when your dad got dressed to go to work for the day, did was that outfit a Robin suit, like from Batman and Robin, that was like a unitard with a cape on it? Did, I don't know if that was your same experience. That was my experience. Or or did you ever walk in on your dad in the bathroom accidentally, and, and it's kind of embarrassing, not because he's going to the bathroom, but because he's wearing a hoodie, um, rapping and dancing to Eminem's Lose Yourself? Does that, anyone else have that experience? Or... Do you remember? Um, do, do you remember the skit Wayne and Garth from Saturday Night Live or from Wayne's World? If you were born post 1995, um, again I have a caveat for you, uh, but uh, you can Google it. Wayne's World, it's great. Um, but there's a skit, and, and Wayne and Garth. And my dad spent a significant amount of his dress-up time dressed as Garth at these camps. And one time uh, I got in trouble with my mom, and she sent me to my dad. And my dad dressed as Garth, pulled me backstage, and gave me the what for. And I don't know if you have. Ever ever been punished by Garth from Wayne's world, but that will change a person. It will do some things. Um, For all of the weird and wonderful, uh, this camp experience for me was like formational uh, to my development. My uh, parents were formational to my development of learning how I showed up in the world. Um, like lots of kids uh, born in the Bible, Belt, the first song that they memorized was Jesus Loves Me. The first song I remember memorizing was called Wipeout by the Fat Boys. Um, it was just these formational things. I, 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 at this camp stuff, I learned the value of serving. I had um, a high view of like community and cooperation and things like that. I, I, I grew up in a story bigger than myself, and it was incredibly formational uh, to my life. And and that isn't unique to me or unique to my childhood. All of us are formed by the stories that we live in. We're formed by our family of origin or our cultural context or our life experiences, good or bad or or whatever. Uh, We are being formed and influenced by things around us constantly. Uh, I read an article last week um, that was incredible. It was talking about how uh, Netflix has influenced consumerism. It was super fascinating. So if you take some of Netflix's biggest hits, um, you can chart how these things have impacted things like uh, fashion. For example, there seems to be a direct correlation in the demand for 1980s fashion and premiere dates for Stranger Things. Like, people are researching this. Um, another example is, is uh, this is just from eBay. eBay in the U.K. saw a 55% increase in the sale of floral clothing around the premiere of Bridgerton. They, they even broke it down more specifically in the U.S. and saw that the U.S. increase in sales were of empire waist dresses and poofy sleeves around the premiere of Bridgerton. I don't know who's doing this research and who's like, ooh, we should check the poofy sleeves. We need to see how that's, how that's going. Um, but it's not just fashion. Google says that there was a significant increase in the interest to adopt a tiger around the Tiger King. Um, You know, some of you Googled it, my money's on John and Sarah Green. I think they probably are in the works to buy a tiger at any moment. We don't know. Here's another one. Um, The demand for chessboard sets uh, around the, uh, the premiere of the Queen's Gambit or the showing of the Queen's Gambit, the demand for chessboard sets saw an increase of 232%. And the only difference they can say is this show uh, premiered. Here's the last one. And if you've seen the show, this is unreal to me. Also, this is not me as a pastor recommending this show to you. Um, But there has been a 340% increase in demand for vacations to the Ozarks since the premiere of Ozark. Which is nuts. And these, these are just shows on Netflix. These are not like, uh, these shows do not have like direct advertising deals with these things. Uh, like, like the Queen's Gambit doesn't own all chess boards, right? And again, if you've ever seen Ozarks, I would say that it is the exact opposite of an advertisement. Who wants to go there after seeing that show? Um, these shows, they're not marketing schemes. They're just stories that we watch on TV that, that captivate us and influence us and inform us because we as humans are all, we are captivated by an influential story. It's, it's part of being human. It makes you sucker, a sucker for a good story. Uh, for the last few weeks, we've been studying Romans 12, honestly, pretty much just one verse at a time. I, re- I realized this week, I was like, oh great, we're on verse two. And we're like four weeks into this one chapter. I promised you we're going to speed up a little. I mean, we might speed up a little bit. We'll see where it goes. Um, But Romans 12, I would argue, is Paul inviting us to be formed um, by an incredibly influential and incredibly transformational story. Uh, Because Paul knows that that part of the human experience means that we long for meaning beyond ourselves. We long for transformation beyond ourselves. And that is what story does for us. Uh, Paul, in the book of Romans, he spent the first 11 chapters talking really pretty specifically about theology about who God is, about what God is. Um, and, and now here in Romans 12, uh, writers, uh, theologians say that this is like a turning point in the book of Romans. And in Romans 12, Paul does a turn uh, where he um It begins to talk uh, not as much about who and what God is, but how that impacts our lives. According to Paul and the other New Testament writers, the story of Jesus isn't just a story to hear or a story to learn or a story to memorize. It is a story to live. It's a story that dares to transform us and renew our ways of thinking, the ways we think and live and feel and work and play and learn, the very ways that we exist. And so Paul starts uh, his, his conversation about that story like this. He says, In view of God's mercy, give your bodies as a holy and living sacrifice. With a consistent view of the mercy of God, give all you know of yourself to all you know of God. And then he says this in verse 2, uh, Rather than looking to the world to be formed, allow God to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is where I really want to spend our time uh, together today, on this idea of changing the way we think. Um, As I was researching for today, the the best thing that I read came from a Jewish rabbi, and he said two things that were like, I loved him. Uh, the first one is, is he says, when you, when you break down the Greek and add Jewish experience to it, um, uh, the, the verses, verse 2 from Paul seems to say uh, that life in the kingdom of God means that our formation, our confirmation, does not come from this present world, but from the renewal of the world to come. Here's what that means. Uh, we believe that there are two worlds at play here. There is a world where everything is dying and decaying and breaking down. Uh, a, a world that shouts at us that everything is going to hell in a handbasket. It's, it's a kind of an anti-life world filled with messages of fear. And at the same time, there is also a world where things are being renewed and restored and reborn. These are oversimplifications. But Paul says, if you have to pick which one to form your mind, pick the second one. Pick the renewal one. Be formed by the places in this world that looks like what we believe about the next one. Learn to rethink in terms of new creation. Measure your life by what is alive, what's flourishing. Not by the first world of sadness and anti-life, but what is alive and what's flourishing. Uh, One of the ways we've talked about it around here in terms of story comes from N.T. Wright, where he says that part of being a Jesus follower means that we become collectors of resurrection stories, that we collect them everywhere. And it turns out when you look for them, you can find stories of renewal and resurrection and recreation. You can find them in all of the cracks and all of the crannies of this world. But I think what Paul is saying is is we don't just look for these stories. We also allow them to change our thinking. We allow them to form our lives, to form our minds. And then the second thing that I learned from the rabbi is this. Uh, Verse 2 talks about, again, transformation or rethinking of the mind. Um, But the Greek understanding of consciousness would have gone far beyond just your mind or far beyond just your brain or just your intellect. Like a first, Jew, a first century Jewish person reading this letter would have understood that uh, what Paul is talking about is a transformation and a renewal and a rethinking for the entire conscience, the entire mind, the entire body, the entire heart, the entire soul, uh, a, a new way of thinking, uh, but also a new way of living and a new way of feeling and a new way of being, of existing and showing up in the world. Essentially, uh, Paul is saying that the story of Jesus is so compelling and so powerful and so influential that it has the power to transform every part of our being that we are willing to offer. Um, I have been following Jesus a very long time and as long as I can remember. And I think that his story, the story of Jesus, is the most compelling story I've ever heard. And I believe all this. I believe it has the power to transform my mind and transform my heart and transform my life. And I believe that about you, too. It has the power to do that for you, too. I think all of that is true. And I also think that that is a little overwhelming. And it's a little bit scary. Because I feel like I've known Jesus long enough to know that if if he's talking about renewing uh, my entire conscience everywhere, in my experience, he usually means everywhere. Like a rethinking how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I uh, spend my, how I see people in my neighborhood, how I um, exist in the restaurants I go to, how I rethink how I treat my family. Uh, hardest of all, rethink how I treat customer service representatives, particularly on the phone. Ugh. Rethinking not just my spiritual health, but my physical health, my emotional health. Rethinking the way I uh, talk to others, and again, worst of all, rethinking the way I talk to myself. Rethinking my goals, rethinking my systems, rethinking my metrics. What Jesus has to offer is transformation everywhere, and that is beautiful and intimidating. Because we don't know what we don't know, right? Right? Uh, there's a preacher I, I love, I, I quote her often, her name's Barbara Brown Taylor, and she tells this story about being on a flight, um, and she sat next to a man, and she was at the window seat, and the man was in the middle seat, and she said it just was one of those perfect flights, like the temperature was right, and the sun was shining like perfectly through the window, and um, and the, the like hum of the jets was just like perfectly consistent, and she said it was like the perfect uh, situation for a nap, and, and the man next to her took advantage of that, and he fell asleep, and as he fell asleep, he started to lean. A little bit on her. Have you ever experienced this? Um, And and she was like, you know, inside you just kind of want to like, like you know, kind of get off. I don't know you. Get off my shoulder. But she was like, you know, actually, uh, God gave her some rethinking in the moment, and she was like, actually, the middle seat is the worst. Like I'm gonna have some grace for this guy, and I'm just gonna cozy up uh, against the window a little bit. And she said, part of the way through the flights, flight, he uh, has this moment where. Uh, both of his hands shoot in the air and he starts grabbing for anything in order to stabilize him. And Barbara realizes that he's having one of those dreams where you feel like you're falling and the bottom is like completely uh, going out of of it. You're just like free falling and you wake up and you feel like someone has shocked you and you're just trying to grab a hold of anything. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think everyone has these dreams. Um, uh, And you're just trying to grab anything to make you feel steady again. Uh, And Barbara Brown Taylor talks about how uh, this is kind of like the renewal of our mind that Paul's talking about because sometimes it is so scary uh, to think about the challenge of rethinking everything because there are parts of our lives that we like or love or at the very least are just used to and a lot of us in this room I won't name names are a bit change avoidant it's most of us and so rethinking sounds an awful lot like change and I want to be honest rethinking is an awful lot like change and change for many of us feels a bit like a free fall because we don't know what's coming. But I think the heart uh, of the king of rethinking is, is, that, Paul is uh, that Paul is talking about here is, is very well summed up in this story. The renewal of your mind, the transformation of your mind in Jesus is a whole lot like waking up from a dream where you're 100% sure you are falling only to find out that you are actually safe that you are actually steady, that steadiness is to be found around you. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor says it like this. I want to quote her. She says, When you wake up from the dream of falling to find it's not a dream, you can actually choose to open your hands along with your battered heart to the good news. Not the life after falling, but life in the falling, and all the life that you would have missed out on had you clung to the one you already had. If you can trust that, also trust this. God will know what to do with you next. So much of what it means to follow Jesus is learning a sacrificial trust in that last statement. God will know what to do with you next. And allowing that statement to permeate your entire being. Uh, so I'd written this like whole part next for the sermon about places. Um, and our lives were really susceptible to being influenced outside of us. And it was a little clunky and important, but I'll do it in a sermon later. Um, but what I want to do right now is just talk in our last few minutes, um, as we have the last couple of weeks, on a really practical level about what I'm talking about. Um, there are a few practical ways uh, that I have learned uh, to allow myself to be transformed by the story of God. Um, A few, like, on-the-ground places, if you're like, how do we do this? There are three places that I have found, um, for me, have been places for the Holy Spirit to help transform my thinking. Uh, One is the Bible, one is silence, and one is community. So I just want to talk about those three things really quickly, and then uh, I want to try to practice some stuff about this together. Um, uh, I grew up in the church. Everyone in the church says that the best way to get to know God or get to know Jesus or the Spirit is to read the Bible. And they aren't wrong. But again, my big complaint is they also didn't tell me how to. Um, And so I just want to say a little bit more on that. Um, For me, part of how we learn that God uh, will know what to do with us next is in the stories of the Scriptures. And we know that not because the stories of the scriptures go well for everyone. Um, I would argue they go pretty terribly for Jesus. You know? So it's not because the stories go well for everyone. Um, but in the stories, what we see is that God always knows what to do next. God always knows what he will do next with the person, uh, with his people. He always knows what he will do next with his son. He always knows what he will do next with his church. Like the book is filled with these stories, but not just stories. Uh, songs about that idea, and 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 like laws and guidelines and pointers for how to live in more freedom and more flourishing. Uh, those are the two things that God is always trying to do with His people. He is always trying to make them more free, and He's always trying to make room for them to flourish. Um, so, if reading the Bible is tricky for you, that makes you a human and very in good company in this room because it is a very tricky and confusing thing for lots of us. Um, I have three resources that uh, changed Bible reading for me personally. I'm sure you have others, but here's three. One is an app I talk about all the time. It is called Lectio 365. It is prayer and scripture every morning and every evening. I love it. Um, The second is something called Bible Recap, and you can find the book version of it. There's a website version of it. There's a podcast version of it. If you need any more information, find Emily Hitch. Uh, She got me on this. I love it. And then the third resource I have for you, if you don't own this or you've never read this, is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Anyone have it? Okay, I read it for the first time a few years ago. I had been a Christian almost my whole life. I don't know, maybe my whole life. And I, I'd been following Jesus forever. And then I read this, this, this children's Bible. And at the end, I was like, every story's about Jesus? Like, I never knew. It was unbelievable. Like, what I learned about the scriptures in this children's Bible, I, I, it may be, sound like I'm offering you a child's resource. I am, and you need it. It is so good and some point. So Jesus' story Bible. Um, it's one of those, if you don't have it, I will buy it for you. I, I like it so much. Um, the second thing that has uh, helped train me in rethinking is silence. Um, to know me is to know that silence is not natural. Uh, I say this a lot, that I set a three-minute timer, and sometimes I make it three minutes. Um, uh, but for me, silence and prayer have become kind of synonymous terms. Um, But I picked talking about silence because uh, I try to incorporate silence into my day and specifically into my prayers uh, because for me, silence means creating room uh, for the Holy Spirit uh, to challenge my thinking, create room for the Holy Spirit um, to, uh, uh, to open me up to a new experience or maybe an old one, but with resurrection eyes on it. I don't want to downplay the importance of the Bible in any way, but in my life, it is often silence and prayer uh, where the stories of the scriptures start to actually take root. It is um, my practice of prayer and silence, that is where I experience the transformation of my mind and my heart and my whole being. Uh, I can't recommend silence enough. And then finally, the third one is uh, community. Um, Changing my mind requires a diversity of thought and a diversity of experience. And there are things that I will better understand about my life and my faith by learning about your life and your faith and the lives and the faiths of people all over the place, people I agree with, people I disagree with. We past the peace and we talk about crossing an aisle with people we might disagree with on everything else. Like people we disagree with are incredibly important to our faith formation as are people that we uh, agree with. Uh, Community, our our, our neighbors, our workplaces, our friendships, our families, this is where our rethinking is most challenged. Uh, If I want to live a story of life and renewal, nothing challenges that notion as much as the relationships in my life do. Because in relationship, we have opposing opinions, and we have conflict, and we have inconvenience. Uh, it's where we put legs on the renewed and the transformed mind. Uh, Anne Lamont calls uh, Planet Earth forgiveness school. She says, Earth is forgiveness school. You might as well start around the dinner table. At least then you can wear your comfortable pants. <laughs> Uh, The transformational story of God is not just one to be studied, and it's not just one to be learned. It is a story to be lived. And we do that uh, in silence and prayer and reading the scriptures, but we very much do that in the places where we live and we work and we play and we learn and we show up to over and over and over again. Um, so, here's what I want to do. I want to practice that on a really super practical uh, level today. Sometimes during our sala time, we just create silence, but uh, the past few weeks we've been doing some practices. I'm just on a kick about it, and so we're going to do that again today. Um, but I want to give you practice in that, uh, or for me, it's a practice of forgiveness school that I was just talking about. Um, the practice that I'm going to share with you today, I'm going to be very honest. I do not like this practice at all, um, which means I should do it more. Um, but when it comes to the art of rethinking or relearning it's one of the best ones that I have tried uh, it comes from a friend of mine and uh, a sp- my spiritual director and a few of us here at the church's name Seth Bouchelle. And uh, our staff went to New York City last fall to meet with Seth to do, like, a spiritual retreat uh, with our staff. And um, we had gone to a lunch, and we were having this conversation. And on the way out, he asked me a clarifying question about something that we talked about at lunch. And when I answered, I just, like, blasted off my answer, like— he asked me this very innocent question. I was immediately mad, I was immediately bothered, and I was immediately very sassy. And my answer, and I just went, blah. And and then he kind of looked at me and I was like, oh, I was like, I think I'm madder about that than I think that I am. And he was like, uh, you think? Um, nice to meet you, you are sassy. Um, which is true. Um, but uh, so later in the day, he sent all of us out on um, days of solitude. We spent our, uh, a day all alone somewhere in the city, and he gave each of us a practice to work on um, uh, all over New York. And this was my practice. Um, and it's called React and Respond. Is it up there behind me? Perfect. Okay. React and Respond. Um, and the Holy Spirit has been using it in me since last fall to do some work uh, around responding and reacting. Um, uh Uh, I read a quote that says, a mature Christian always responds versus reacting. And I I read that, and I was like, well, maybe. But I also want to be someone who responds. I want to be someone who doesn't fly off the handle in reactivity or shut down in reactivity or fill in your own blank, whatever it is that you do when something makes you uncomfortable. I, I want to be someone who responds in those moments, not reacts. Um, so it's a four-part prayer. You can do it anywhere. Uh, this works in uh, your car, office, bathroom. You can hide in the bathroom during an argument. That's biographical. Um, uh, and so here's how you do it. Is, is you just think of a significant experience or maybe like a, a moment of transition in your life or a conflict. Honestly, for me, most of the time, I use this practice uh, in conflict. And when you think of that, you're just going to go through four statements. And the first statement it, the four statements are I feel so I want to react by but the truth is so I will respond by. And so you just go through them. I feel and you say how you feel. <laughs> and so that makes me want to react. Uh, but the truth is, and so I respond by it. And for me, it takes me about three or four times, if I'm really honest, before I really get to how I feel. Because a lot of times we feel a lot of complicated things about any one situation. Um, and then we just tend to, like, gravitate toward the most dominant one. So for me, I just, like, gravitate toward anger because it's usually the loudest. Or for some of us, we gravitate toward um, disappearing because that's the loudest. And so... Um, so this is this is a way to get to what we may actually be feeling in a situation. So I'm going to give you an example, and then we're just going to take a minute, and I'm just going to let you do it. The the phrases will be up here, and we'll just spend a, a minute on each, and we'll just take some silence. So, um, so be thinking of some sort of situation, a conflict, or a, a significant experience, or a transition, or something like that in your life. Here's my example. Um, this is autobiographical also, Um, I feel attacked by, and then you insert your own political party that you would disagree with, family member. I feel attacked by my Republican or Democrat family member. So I want to react by, this is personal, making them feel stupid with all I know and they don't know. But the truth is, my beliefs and convictions are threatened by people disagreeing with them or other thoughts, or other opinions. Uh, Another truth is this person might love you really well outside of politics, or maybe they don't love you well outside of politics. So I will respond by walking away from the conversation, giving myself a boundary or them. Or if I feel like I can engage with them, I will respond by doing it with kindness and calmness and curiosity. Does this sort of make sense? Okay. We're going to give it a shot. If you're here and you're like, I actually don't even believe in prayer. The good news is this is a prayer that someone stole from cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's just good for everyone. Um, So so anyway, uh, we're going to take a few minutes and we're just going to walk through it. I'm going to let you do it all on your own and then I'll see you at the table. Uh, Let me pray and bless it first. So Jesus, we ask you to fill this moment with your spirit. Will you fill us with the kind of courage it takes to do introspective work? I pray that you would bring a situation or a conflict or maybe even just like a, a, a person to our mind. And then I pray that you would give us the imagination and creativity and wisdom to uh, to allow this practice to do some transformation in our thinking. Maybe to reform our minds about a problem that feels overwhelming or reform our minds about a person who we really need a boundary with or whatever it is. I just, I, I just pray that you would do some rethinking work in us uh, as people here in Forgiveness School. And so I ask that you would bless this practice and keep this practice and make your face shine on it.